Let me tell you a story, podcast number 104. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago. It was the age of Never mind. It is a truth universally acknowledged. You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with your hosts, Steve and Becky Lyles. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. In podcast 104, we're coming to the end of Elder Brown's Backslide by Harry Stilwell Edwards and the end of Winds of Wyoming. We'll also treat you to several kid chuckles and some Eugene Shea poetry. We're going back to the story of Elder Brown. Mrs. Brown stood upon the steps, anxiously awaiting the return of her liege lord. She knew he had with him a large sum of money, or should have, and she knew also that he was a man without business methods. She had long since repented of the decision which sent him to town, when the old battered hat and flower-covered coat loomed up in the gloaming and confronted her. She stared with terror. The next instant she had seized him. "'For the Lord's sakes, Elder Brown, what ails you, as I live? "'If the man ain't drunk, Elder Brown, Elder Brown, "'for the life of me I can't make you hear. "'You crazy old hypocrite, you desaving old sinner, "'you black-hearted wretch, where have you been?' "'The elder made an effort to wave her off. "'Woman,' he said with grand dignity. You forget yourself. Should know where I've been swells I do. Been to town, wife, and see you what I bought. The finest hat, old woman, I could get. Look at the collar. Light goes as like. It's red in your red, and it's a dead match. What you mean? Hey, hold on, old woman, you, Hannah, you. She literally shook him into silence. You miserable wretch, you low-down drunken sot. What do you mean by coming home and insulting your wife? Hannah ceased shaking him from pure exhaustion. Where is it, I say, where is it? By this time she was turning his pockets wrong side out. From one she got pills, from another change, and from another packages. The Lord be praised, and this is better luck than I hoped. Oh, elder, elder. Elder, what did you do it for? Why, man, where is Balaam? Thought of the beast choked off the threatened hysterics. Balaam? Balaam? said the elder, groggily. He's in town. The infernal old fool salted me, and I left him to walk home. His wife surveyed him. Really, at that moment, she did think his mind was gone. But the leer upon the old man's face enraged her beyond endurance. You did, did you? Well, now, I reckon you'll laugh for some cause, you will. Back you go, sir, straight back. And don't you come home without that donkey, or you'll rue it, sure as my name is Hannah Brown. Alec, you, Alec. A black boy darted round the corner, from behind which, with several others, he had beheld a brief but stirring scene. 
put a saddle on her mule. The elder's going back to town, and don't you be long about it neither. Yes'm. Alex Ivory's gleamed in the darkness as he disappeared. Elder Brown was soberer at that moment than he had been for hours. Hannah, you don't mean it. Yes, sir, I do. Back you go to town as sure as my name is Hannah Brown. The elder was silent. He had never known his wife to relent on any occasion after she had affirmed her intentions supplemented with as sure as my name is Hannah Brown. It was her way of swearing. No affidavit could have had half the claim upon her as that simple enunciation. So back to town went Elder Brown, not in the order of the early morn, but silently, moodily, despairingly, surrounded by mental and actual gloom. The old man had turned a last appealing glance upon the angry woman as he mounted with Alex's assistance and sat in the light that streamed from out the kitchen window. She met the glance without a waver. She means as sure as my name is Elder Brown, he said thickly. Then he rode on. To say that Elder Brown suffered on this long journey back to Macon would only mildly outline his experience. His early morning's fall had begun to make itself felt. He was sore and uncomfortable. Besides, his stomach was empty and called for two meals it had missed for the first time in years. When, sore and weary, the elder entered the city, the electric lights shone above it like jewels in a crown. The city slept, that is, the better portion of it did. Here and there, however, the lower lights flashed out into the night. Moodily, the elder pursued his journey, and as he rode, far off in the night, there rose and quivered a plaintive cry. Elder Brown smiled wearily. It was Balaam's appeal, and he recognized it. The animal he rode also recognized it and replied until the silence of the city was destroyed. The old clamor and confusion drew from a saloon nearby a group of noisy youngsters who had been making a night of it. They surrounded Elder Brown as he began to transfer himself to the hungry beast to whose motion he was more accustomed. And in the hail fellow well met style of the day began to bandy jests upon his appearance. Now, Elder Brown was not in a jesting humor. Positively, he was in the worst humor possible. The result was that before many minutes passed, the old man was swinging several of the crowd by their collars and breaking the peace of the city. A policeman approached, and but for the good-humored party, upon whom the elder's pluck had made a favorable impression, would have run the old man into the barracks. The crowd, however, drew him laughingly into the saloon and to the bar. The reaction was too much for his half-rallied senses. He yielded again. The reviving liquor passed his lips. Bloom vanished. He became one of the boys. The company into which Elder Brown had fallen was what is known as first class. To such, nothing is so captivating as an adventure out of the common run of accidents. The gaunt countryman, with his battered hat and claw hammer coat, was a prize of an extraordinary nature. They drew him into a rear room, whose gilded frames and polished tables betrayed the character and purpose of the place, and plied him with wine until ten thousand lights danced about him. The fun increased. One youngster made a political speech from the top of the table. 
another impersonated Hamlet, and finally Elder Brown was lifted into a chair and sang a camp-meaning song. This was rendered by him with startling effect. He stood upright, with his hat jauntily knocked to one side, and his coattails ornamented with a couple of showbills kindly pinned on by his admirers. In his left hand he waved the stub of a cigar, and on his back was an admirable representation of Balaam's head, executed by some artist with billboard chalk. As the elder sang his favorite hymn, I'm glad salvation's free, his stentorian voice awoke the echoes. Most of the company rolled upon the floor in convulsions of laughter. The exhibition came to a close by the chair overturning. Again, Elder Brown fell into his beloved hat. He arose and shouted, Whoa, Balaam! Again, he seized the nearest weapon and sought satisfaction. The young gentleman with political sentiments was knocked under the table, and Hamlet only escaped injury by beating the infuriated elder into the street. What next? Well, I hardly know. How the elder found Balaam is a mystery yet. Not that Balaam was hard to find, but that the old man was in no condition to find anything. Still, he did, and climbing laboriously into the saddle, he held on stupidly while the hungry beast struck out for home. Hannah Brown did not sleep that night. Sleep would not come. Hour after hour passed, and her wrath refused to be quelled. She tried every conceivable method, but time hung heavily. It was not quite peep of day, however, when she laid her well-worn family Bible aside. It had been her mother's, and amid all the anxieties and tribulations incident to the life of a woman who had freed blacks and a miserable husband to manage, it had been her mainstay and comfort. She had frequently read it in anger, page after page, without knowing what was contained in the lines. But eventually the words became intelligible and took meaning. She wrested consolation from it by mere force of will. And so on this occasion, when she closed the book, the fierce anger was gone. She was not a hard woman, naturally. Fate had brought her conditions which covered up the woman heart within her. But though it lay deep, it was there still. As she sat with folded hands, her eyes fell upon... What? The pink bonnet with the blue plume. It may appear strange to those who do not understand such natures, but to me her next action was perfectly natural. She burst into a convulsive laugh, then, seizing the queer object, bent her face upon it and sobbed hysterically. When the storm was over, very tenderly she laid the gift aside and, bareheaded, passed out into the night. For a half hour she stood at the end of the lane, and then hungry Balaam and his master hove in sight. Reaching out her hand, she checked the beast. William, she said very gently, where is the mule? The elder had been asleep. He woke and gazed upon her blankly. What mule, Hannah? The mule you rode to town. For one full minute the elder studied her face. Then it burst from his lips. Well, bless me, if I didn't bring Balaam and forget the mule. The woman laughed till her eyes ran water. William, she said, you're drunk. Hannah, said he meekly, I know it. The truth is, Hannah, I... 
Never mind now, William, she said gently. You are tired and hungry. Come into the house, husband. Leading Balaam, she disappeared down the lane. And when, a few minutes later, Hannah Brown and her husband entered through the light that streamed out of the open door, her arms were around him and her face upturned to his. We're in Chapter 34 of Winds of Wyoming. Just prior to this section, Mike has asked Kate to tell him about her past, and she had said, Do you want the short version or the long? So after she gives him whatever version, then this section picks up. That's my past in a nutshell. Kate offered Mike a sad smile. Wish it wasn't so ugly. But it is what it is. Sounds as if Ramsay is equal parts crazy and evil. Mike folded his arms. One more question, if you don't mind. Following his example, Kate folded her arms and braced herself. Okay, why did you take our money? That's easy to answer. Oh, yeah? He lifted an eyebrow. Because it was there. Mike frowned. When I was on the streets, Kate said, any form of money was fair game. Cash, checks, credit cards, and anything I could sell or pawn. Because it was there, Mike said. And because I needed money for food and clothes and drugs. Mostly drugs. I'm terribly sorry I took the envelope, but it's true I never opened it. I'm glad I didn't know how much was in there, or it would have been harder to return. Kate hesitated. Do you have any idea how Tara and Ramsey hooked up? I thought maybe you knew. There must be some kind of internal force that draws maggots like them together. Mike leaned his forearms on the table. Mind if I change the subject? Any other subject would be more pleasant, Kate said. It's my turn to apologize. I was rude to you after that band practice. I should have offered you a ride home. Instead, I left you to find your way alone in the dark, in a wheelchair, in a cemetery. I think we were both fairly uncomfortable that night, Kate said. I'm sorry we lost contact after you left the ranch. My fault, really. So many times I wanted to talk with you to tell you about things happening at the ranch. If there's a chance we could get back to where we were when we took that trail ride before Honey threw you, I'd be game to try. Kate couldn't stop her grin. He knew about her past, the worst of it, really, and yet he still wanted to be friends. I've missed you and everyone else at the Whispering Pines a lot. I finally asked Mom about the accident, Mike said. Did that help? Yeah, Mike ran his fingers through his hair. Would you be interested in doing some normal things together? She lifted her chin, wondering what normal meant to him. You know, go to a movie or out to dinner. Something besides chasing bison killers. Maybe go see that eagle's nest like we talked about. He stopped. That is... He pushed a paper napkin around the table with the end of his spoon. 
I mean, unless you're too busy hanging with Clint. He said you two have plans. I like Clint, Kate said. He's a great guy. But, she ducked her head, but he's not you. You're the one I'd like to hang with. There, she'd said it. After a moment's hesitation, she lifted her head, pushed back her hair, and returned the smile she'd been longing to see. One more question. Mike winked. That's a promise. You have any idea who killed the bison and why? Ramsey told me he killed Trudy, probably out of spite. I'm guessing the authorities will learn a lot more when they interrogate him and Tara. And Daryl, from your ranch. Actually, I'm surprised about the connection between the three of them. I saw Tara with Ramsey, but never with Daryl. The kid has always had an attitude. Mike rubbed the stubble on his chin. But I'm with you. They're a strange combo. Yet, in a way, they're all birds of a feather. I hope they get their due, including Tara's dad, Todd. You think he collaborated with them? It's possible he's the ringleader for the theft and the bison deaths. That's what my gut and a little sleuthing tell me. We still don't know who shot the cows, but tests show the bullets were fired from the same weapon. Our next step is to find the gun and the owner. We also need to figure out who killed the second calf. Another calf? He nodded. That's too bad. She pushed her bull aside. I haven't heard how your dog is doing. Is Tramp better? Doc Hall let me take Tramp home a couple days ago. Mike grinned. My old puppy is slow moving but happy to be home where he belongs. He mostly lays on the deck, soaking up the sunshine. Mike's cell phone rang. He dropped his spoon into the bowl and pulled the phone out of his shirt pocket. This is Mike. The voice was so loud Kate could hear it across the table. Boss man, this is Clint. Thought I should warn you. What? The twins decide they want to shoot Buffalo after all? Worse. Kate heard Clint chuckle. A deputy brought your Aunt Judith up to the ranch and dropped her off at the lobby. Well, Susan and I were waiting for you and the others. We wanted to be here when you got home from the hospital. Your Aunt chewed us up one side and down the other. Madder than a pit bull with a nose full of porcupine quills and nobody offered her a ride home after the fireworks. Mike gave Kate a sideways glance. <sighs> we'll never hear the end of it. Looks like we have time to get started on chapter 35, which is the final chapter of the Winds of Wyoming story. So this uh, chapter jumps way ahead, well, weeks ahead, to October of that same year. Surrounded by clapping, cheering friends and neighbors, Kate danced across the dining hall's wood floor in Mike's arms. Gazing into her husband's smiling blue eyes, she reveled in the blissful moment, one she dreamed of but never expected to come true. God was so good to her. They swung past Aunt Judith, who held a camera in one hand and balanced on her cane with the other. She snapped picture after picture, often standing directly in front of the hired photographer. Mike whispered, Expect to see those pictures in Aunt Judith's Christmas letter. 
That will only happen if we get our hands on the letter before your mom throws it into the fireplace. Mike chuckled. You've already got this family figured out. The song ended and their guests began ringing miniature cowbells, calling for a kiss. My pleasure. Mike leaned her backward and kissed her long and hard. Kate barely heard the cat calls and applause. He pulled her upright. Want something to eat? She snuggled into his chest. I just had dessert. Shaking hands and hugging guests, they made their way to the head table to sit between Laura and Kate's Aunt Mary. The band continued to play. Mary kissed Kate's cheek. You are absolutely stunning, my dear. Thank you, Aunt Mary. You look beautiful, too. I can't tell you how much it means to me that you and Amy drove all the way from Pennsylvania for our wedding. I wouldn't have missed it for all the tea in China. <laughs> That's saying something, Kate laughed. I know how you are about tea. Laura stretched in front of Mike to hug Kate. Hello, gorgeous daughter-in-law. That was a beautiful wedding. Thanks to you and Dimple, Kate said. We couldn't have done it without you. Or without God. He gave us gorgeous weather for an outdoor wedding. They've been blessed with a perfect Indian summer day, which on the ranch meant balmy breezes, red and orange underbrush, golden aspen, and a dazzling deep blue sky. Mike cleared his throat. All that frilly stuff was nice, but Tramp was the star of the show. That he was, Mary clapped. I have to agree, Laura grinned when he trotted up the aisle with his tail in the air and that basket of flowers hanging from his mouth. People about fell out of their chairs laughing. Kate's maid of honor, Amy, sat down on the other side of Mary. She waggled a finger. Never again will I say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Isn't that the truth? Kate smiled. Mike had trained Tramp for weeks. Evidently, his attempts to discourage the dog from chewing and flipping the basket had worked. I'm going to get a cider and some of Marita's tamales. Mike pushed away from the table. How many do you want? I'm starved, Kate said. Would I look like a pig if I ate four? This is your day, my love. He stood, but stooped to kiss her again. You can have whatever you want. This is our day, she touched his cheek, and you're all I want. I hope you never stop telling me that, he winked. Kate's heart did a flip-flop, like it did every time he winked at her. And I hope you never stop winking at me. After he left, Laura said, I'm so glad you asked Cyrus to walk you up the aisle, Kate. I don't know if you could see it, but that gruff old man was beaming like you were his own daughter. Kate lifted her hair off her neck. Dancing had warmed her up. Before the music started, he told me he was proud of me for how far I've come in my life. I almost choked. Never in a thousand years would I have expected that from Cyrus. Amy leaned in. I thought it was sweet when Pastor Chuck asked, Who gives this woman to marry this man? And Cyrus helped Dimple and Aunt Mary stand up. I got teary-eyed when they all said, We do, in unison. Kate took her aunt's hand. Thank you, Aunt Mary. God had filled the parent and grandparent gaps in her life with some amazing people. Mike returned with two plates of food. Manuel followed with cider. Wait right there, Manuel, Kate got to her feet. You're not going to like this, but I'm going to kiss you. 
This is probably the only day I can get away with it. He blushed and tried to escape, but she grabbed him, holding him by the arms. I want to say you've been like a brother to me, and I'm proud of you. She kissed him on the cheek and then wiped off the lipstick smudge before letting him go. There, that wasn't so bad, was it? I'm glad you're staying at the ranch, he rubbed his cheek, but that doesn't mean you have to kiss me. Like I said, today's a special day. I feel like kissing everyone. Hey, Mike lowered his eyebrows. Save some kisses for me. Manuel gave him a, I can't believe you said that look, and offered to refill cider and bring more tamales, corn, and salad for the others. Amy handed him her plate. Thanks, Manuel. I'll have some of everything. The band leader, a big jovial man, tapped the microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, listen up. It's time for the dollar dance. For a mere one dollar you may purchase a dance with the bride or the groom. This young man, he pointed to Drew, coach's oldest son, this young man has a box of safety pins. Show him your dollar and he'll give you a pin with which to attach your bills to the clothing of your dance partner. Notice, I said clothing, not skin. The crowd laughed at the time-worn joke. Mike squeezed Kate's hand. Looks like we're on again. Kate stood and took his arm. Can you hear my stomach growling? He leaned closer. I didn't get one bite of tamale. Me neither, Kate said, and they smell so good. Before anyone else made a move, Coach Murphy zipped to his son and picked a pin from the box. He motioned to the band leader, who bent down, jowls hanging, to listen as he whispered in his ear. The man clapped his hands. Perfect! He returned to the microphone. We have our first request for a dance with the bride, plus a request for a special song. Kate and Mike looked at each other and then at Coach, who rolled over to pin a bill to Kate's sleeve. She tucked her dress around her knees before sitting sideways on his lap, her arm around his broad shoulders. When she was ready, he yelled, Hit it! and the crowd moved to the edges of the room. Coach spun his chair into the middle of the room, flipping wheelies and figure eights. Kate screamed, clinging to his neck. The musicians broke into song, and gales of laughter filled the room. Buffalo gal, won't you come out tonight? Come out tonight. Come out tonight. Buffalo gal, won't you come out tonight and dance by the light of the moon? The onlookers clapped and sang along. As I was walking down the street, down the street, down the street, a pretty little gal I chanced to meet, oh, she was fair to see. Oh, buffalo gal, won't you? Kate and Coach laughed so hard she thought they'd fall out of the wheelchair, but they made it to the end of the dance, and others got their turn, dancing with one partner after another, all the while blowing kisses to her new husband. Kate had never had so much fun. Laura danced and chatted with her neighbors. Fletcher whirled Aunt Mary around the room, her tiny feet balanced on the tops of his big boots. Amy danced with cowboy after cowboy, her auburn hair swinging, and in the corner Cyrus twirled Dimple with one hand. They'd both feel it tomorrow, but she was glad they were having as much fun as she was tonight. Desperate for a breath of fresh air, Kate stepped onto the veranda to cool down. She dropped into a rocker and kicked off her white boots. A full moon was beginning to rise over the mountain. She smiled. What a wonderful finale to a fairy tale day. She rested her head on the back of the rocker 
thinking of the new journey she'd embarked upon. It wouldn't be perfect, she knew that, but she and Mike had each other now, and a sense of calm had settled on the ranch. Thank God the bison killings had stopped. The authorities hadn't found the gun or figured out who killed the cows or the second calf. But Ramsey admitted he slit Trudy's throat, and Darrell confessed that he cut the pasture fence. Because he didn't like the Duncans, he said. The prosecutor had pushed for the real reason without response. The ranch hand also admitted to planting the snake and the ferret and the drugs, all with the intent of forcing Kate to leave the W.P. Evidently, he didn't like her either. Darrell said he helped Tara steal the cash, but insisted she'd written the email messages. None of the three took ownership of the gruesome picture on the computer, nor did any of them provide substantive reasons for their actions. Kate had a feeling Ramsey's obsession with her and Tara's equal fixation with Mike had a lot to do with the summer's craziness. She didn't know much about Darrell, but associating with the other two had to indicate some degree of mental instability on his part. Mike and the sheriff were convinced there was more to the story, much more. And Mike had never faltered in his belief that the mastermind was Tara's father, Todd Hughes. The few times Kate had been around the man, her street antenna had gone haywire. Maybe Mike was right. There you are. I wondered where you disappeared to. Dimple plopped into the rocker next to her with a groan. These old bones aren't going to let me forget this night for a couple weeks, like after the 4th of July. But the pain was worth it then, and it'll be worth it tomorrow. Oh, I'll never forget how you danced in the street below the truck, Kate smiled. I couldn't have said what I did without knowing you believed in me and you were praying for me. My pleasure, Dimple took Kate's hand. It was truly a privilege to be a part of that event as well as to pineapple in your wedding. I don't believe I've ever enjoyed one as much as yours. That's what everyone says. My favorite part was when a meadowlark trilled right after Pastor Chuck pronounced you two man and wife. Kate nodded. That was a special moment. After the ceremony, Chuck had told them one of his favorite quotes from his grandma. Every time she heard the lark's lilting song, she'd said, Whenever I hear a meadowlark sing, I know everything is all right in my world. Mike stepped out of the dining room door. Kate smiled at her handsome husband. Yes, everything was all right in her world. Mrs. Duncan, he said, time for the last dance. Kate slipped on her boots while Mike helped Dimple stand, and then he led them both inside. The musicians were already singing, Oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam. Mike pulled Kate close. They're playing the W.P. theme song. Funny, she said, how your mom has never mentioned having a theme song. Home, home on the range. Laura joined them, and together the Duncan family circled the room, laughing, singing, and linking arms with friend upon friend. They danced out the door, across the porch, and into the pumpkin glow of a magnificent harvest moon cresting the mountain. The band stopped playing, but the revelers, followed by Tramp barking his approval, continued to weave with the wind through the swaying trees. Together they sang, Buffalo gal, won't you come out tonight? Come out tonight, come out tonight. Buffalo gal, won't you come out tonight and dance by the light of the moon?
So, was that the end of Winds of Wyoming? Yes, we have come to the end. But I guess I didn't type at the end, so I didn't read the end. I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, you'll have to check online to find the follow-up books in the series. It's called the Kate Nielsen series. Now a couple poems from Eugene Shea. A salute to our flag. Old flag that kicks the morning breeze and waves to greet the world of men, that hugs her mast within her sleeve, then casts her flagstaff free again. Just a bit of bunting in the breeze, but behind it lies a nation strong, mentor of the world set free, nemesis of all who do us wrong. Star shell bursts at Fort McHenry to the campaign to cross the Rhine. Corregidor to caves beyond Rabaul to ships and men upon the brine. Wave on, old glory, flying high, a symbol of, the emblem of, the countless millions such as I who stand to offer you our love. This one is Taking Grandson Fishing. When you take a lad fishing and you know that he's wishing to really show Grandpa the way, give him the room to boast. Help him to catch the most and the biggest fish of the day. When he's caught several floppers, at least one that's a whopper, can't wait to get home and show mother and explain in exact detail how he caught each whale and brag a little to big brother. How the biggest fish of the day, Grandpa let it get away. But he caught every fish that he saw, explains his methods in all respects, and every other sentence interjects with, Didn't I, Grandpa? We'll back him all the way, really make this his day. Brag on him a little when he's done. For you'll come to realize the quality that's most prized in fishing partners is a grandson. We're going to conclude this podcast with some kid chuckles. These uh, I recorded when the kids were ages four, seven, and nine. Let's see, we'll start with Brady four-year-old Brady. When he finished his cereal one morning, he said, I'm practicing my obedience. <laughs> Not sure what that had to do with cereal, but he was practicing. He also informed us that he did not speak English. He spoke brownish, <laughs> which may have made more sense to a four-year-old than English. Who knows? <laughs> I overheard Brady singing on the toilet to the tune of How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? I bet you can guess what he was singing. How do you solve a problem like diarrhea? (laughs) (laughs) Four years old. (laughs) Seemed to know. (laughs) He walked up to the guy who was installing new windows in our dining room and matter-of-factly said to him, It isn't easy being green. (laughs) 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 Profound. Oh, and then we were driving in the car, and Toby, who was seven, was talking about the neighbor boys. And he said, they always act bad. So I said, well, maybe they need a little bit more Sunday school. And Brady said, little bit Jesus. And... (laughs) Oh, 
let's see. Here's another one from Brady. One Sunday, he told me that he gave his money to his teachers in Sunday school that morning. I said, well, actually, you're giving your Sunday school money to the church and to Jesus. And Brady said, you're weird, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) And that was probably not the last time he thought that. (laughs) Uh, Steve was teasing the kids that they didn't need a babysitter. They needed someone much bigger to sit on them. So Brady said, get Colleen. She's really big. (laughs) 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 Luckily, we don't remember who Colleen was. (laughs) Um, Let's see. A couple more. Uh, Toby, our resident scientist, was always thinking. He had questions like, why do dad's feet go up in the air when he sneezes? (laughs) (laughs) And I looked inside my seatbelt, but I just can't figure out how it works. And then his um, most famous quote in the family, he said, how do the bananas escape from the jungles? (laughs) 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 One more so we don't leave Elisa out. Uh, During spring break from school, she and her brothers were having a sleepover in their bedroom, and they were each in their sleeping bags. And Elisa said to me, I don't know if I'll be able to go to sleep. Wish me luck. (laughs) (laughs) Hope you're enjoying lots of sunshine this summer. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading. Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at beckylyles.com. Steve and Becky like to hear your thoughts, and they encourage authors to send stories and other short prose and poetry for them to read on the podcast. You can learn more about Becky's books by visiting beckylyles.com or by searching for her books online. Her nonfiction titles can be found under the name Becky Lyles and her fiction under Rebecca Carrie Lyles. All of her books are available in both print and ebook formats. Winds of Wyoming and Winds of Freedom are also offered in audio format online. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.